Hello, Fellowship. Hello, Fellowship. I have an important announcement today that requires your prayer and participation. As a church body, as a church it's body, to nominate new it's time to, to nominate new elders to the as older board. Board. As four of our current elders will be completing their terms of service In our church governance structure, in our church the, governance board structure, structure made up the older board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of all the congregations We are not a church We are not a church with elders. We are a church led the nomination by and recognition, nomination process, and recognition are process are very important to the health of our church family. And here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. Please First, pray. Please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Then, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to make a nomination, please visit fellowship.nwa.org forward slash nomination elder nomination and complete the online complete the online form. read the accompanying document read the accompanying document entitled of an qualifications of an elder before making your nomination making or your nomination if you prefer or a paper if you prefer a paper nomination you may pick one of those up you may pick one of those up in the worship center for you at each the nomination form will the nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder please mail paper nominations please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers attention to the attention the deadline for making the deadline for making a nomination is December 19th please pray for your elders please pray for your elders as we initiate this process our desire is to be our desire is to be sensitive to the guidance responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and finally we would like to thank we would like to thank Rod Steve Lampkin and Steve Weber for their and Steve Weber for their years of service they have served the Lord they have served the Lord faithfully and diligently during their and tenure have represented you and have well. represented you well. When you see them, please you thank see them personally. Please thank Blessings them to each of you. Blessings to each of you for your prayers and participation in this phase of the elder nomination thank process. You. Thank you. Good morning, fellowship. How are y'all? I'm gonna invite you to stand. We're gonna focus on the love of the Father this morning. These, this song set that we've planned and that we rehearse and that we want to, to, to bring before you to sing. We want these truths to uh, take root in our hearts, especially for me as a parent, as a father, just to focus and, and really just obsess about the love of God this morning.
Creation longs to have a word 
Maybe seated. Hey, by show of hands, how many of you already have your Christmas decorations up? Stop. It's too early. They say you're the reason this cold weather's coming, so you need to stop. No, I'm just kidding, a little bit. Hey, we've got lots of things going on this morning. If you are new or you're visiting, we would love the opportunity to connect with you. And we can do that a couple ways. You can scan the QR code, fill out some information, we'll follow up with you, or stop by the booth in the center of the foyer. And we'd love to shake your hand and just answer any questions about fellowship. We are so glad that you're here. It's a great time of year to be a part of a church and find community. We are partnering with the school system. So under Beth Davies leadership and in partnership with school, the schools, area schools, we've identified 650 children who are either homeless or are at risk um, for housing, which means they, they don't have a, a bed of their own. And we would love to bless those children this holiday season. And you can partner with us by stopping in the foyer and picking up a needs note and buying some just essentials for some of those children this, this holiday season. You can also scan the QR code and follow that up online if you'd like to do that. But it's just something our church does in partnership with the schools, and it's a really neat thing. You can find out more information online or at the booth in the foyer. Next week is the last week to bring back your Operation Christmas Child boxes. And so if you've got those boxes at home and so and just in hopes they don't sit there all year, bring those back by next Sunday, or you can bring those back during the week if you're not going to be here on this Sunday. But also, there is a box packing trip. So if you'd like to go with those boxes to Dallas, there's some work that needs to be done. They open up each of those boxes. They, they rearrange them. They pack them. They ship them out. If you're interested in going on that trip, um, I think it's December 5th through 7th, and they, we would love to have you join us. If you're interested, scan the QR code to get more information. Go online. You can sign up and, and go on that trip with us. Tonight's the night. Raise your hand if you're married. Keep your hand up if there's no conflict in your marriage. Yeah. Tonight, Dr. Gary Oliver will be talking to us about conflict in marriage. And you know in every relationship, there's, there's some potential for conflict. And so we just encourage you to come tonight, join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got an awesome testimony. And, and come tonight at 4.30 and uh, sign up for that if you plan to come. We'd love to have you join us tonight. If you are 60 years or older or you just love hymns, Immediately following this service in the Family Center Auditorium, um, David Atterbury is with us, and he's leading, just doing some fun hymns, and, and they're going to have a lot of fun there. So, so after this service, go over to the Family Center Auditorium. We'd love to have you join us for the Legacy Gathering. And then lastly, Amy, go ahead and come up here. I want to introduce you to somebody that you may or may not know, but if you don't know her, I want you to know her, and she is, this is Amy Hannon, and she is the wife of Samuel. Yeah, let's give her a clap. Hey. She's the wife of Sam Hannon, who is our congregational leader. He's teaching today, but you just released a book. I did. That's very exciting. Tell us Thanks. about it. Well, I, to talk about it is still a little bit crazy. I, it's been really fun. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. Um, I wrote a book. It's called Gather and Give um, because I have believed for a very long time that a simple invitation for connection and community around a shared meal is one of the most 
primary ministry tools that we can, we can use. It creates this perfect opportunity for emotional and relational and spiritual transactions to take place. Fellowship believes that. We have small groups that meet in homes because we too believe in the strategic ministry of hospitality. So I wrote a book about it. And so we explore the um, hospitality commands of 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11 that say love deeply, welcome gladly, and serve faithfully. And then we take a long look at Christ's life and all of the ministry that he participated in. Think about all the hospitality encounters that Christ participated in where he really used it as a time to pour grace and love and redemption and all kinds of good things into the lives of people over shared meals. So this book is just released. It's, I think it's already hit a, a bestseller list of some kind or another, um, but it's gone viral. You don't even know this. It's gone viral. I found, it a, I found a picture on the internet of a famous pastor oh, reading it. Wow. Yes. Isn't that cool? Yes. I'm just glad I don't have that shirt on I today. I was like, I looked. <laughs> well, anyway, we... Amy speaks all over the country. She's spoken to Chick-fil-A owners. She's spoken at the Southern Baptist Convention. We're so blessed that she's a part of our church. Like, she's a released leader of fellowship, and she's gonna be with our ladies this Tuesday night. And we, they, will be, they will have her book this Tuesday night. Ladies, come if you can be here Tuesday night. Uh, she's also got the book in the foyer, but give us just a little glimpse of what Tuesday night will look like. Well, Tuesday night is for women, which I love so much, a reason to gather women. Um, and I think it's a really great time for us to get together. We're going to worship. We're going to have a little bite. And then we're going to get in here, and we're really going to reset our focus of our hospitality hearts, especially going into the holiday season. Does anybody need that? We do, don't we? We can get so sideways. And you know why? Because the enemy wants to distract us. He wants us to get sideways and he wants us to focus on all the wrong things because when we're focusing on all the right things, the Lord does something really sweet in our homes and among our friends and our families. So we're just gonna have a really fun time together considering the hospitality of the Bible. Very good. So ladies, this Tuesday night, um, come bring, grab, grab some girlfriends, grab your neighbors, grab your community group, and come Tuesday night. We'd love to have you. Hey, join me as I pray to, to continue our service. Lord, we just thank you so much. The, the reason we gather is, to, um, is because you are our living hope, uh, both this morning, tonight, with marriages, Tuesday night with our ladies, Lord, in our small groups that meet all over Northwest Arkansas. The reason we gather, Lord, because we recognize you as our living hope. Just help us to worship you today.
Jesus Christ, my living home. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such Elizabeth did not grow up in a Christian home. Her family practiced a different religion. And as she got into her late high school years and early college years, she began to search. And it was your senior year of college. Elizabeth told me that her life hit the bottom and she was desperate and hopeless and broken. And she prayed to God that he would show her his goodness and his light and his love. And after that, a couple of friends began to talk to her about Jesus and invited her to church. And in that church, she came to know Jesus in an authentic way. And she started coming here in 2022. And so she said she has waited and waited and can't wait today to publicly declare her faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ, and she wants to grow in his love and know him better. So Elizabeth, is it your testimony to your church family that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes. And that you want to follow him all the days of your life? Mm -hmm. 
my privilege to baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Let's stand and continue to worship. Then came the morning that sealed the Sin 
riches of kindness he's lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. For we stood neath the dead we could never afford. Is that good news or what? It's good news that our good, good Father has determined how He's going to deal with us based on the finished work of Jesus and not our inability or ability to get it all together. Amen? Are you glad for that? I'm going to read a passage, and for me as a father, all these songs we've sung so far, for me, are just beautiful examples. I like how Amy said, um, looking at Jesus. We're gonna look at Jesus together and see how, see about this. And so I'm so thankful that our Father gave us somewhere and someone to look at to see his, his heart, amen, and, and that's Jesus. And so for me as a father, singing through these songs and reading this passage, it's just such a, an encouragement to me that I can actually love my children the way Father God loves me. And so it's a Romans passage. It says, but now God has shown us a different way of being made right in his sight. Not by obeying the law, but by uh, the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way, no matter who we are. Or what we've done for we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard that old perfect standard all 613 of those to do's and to don'ts that used to stare us in the face we've all fallen short of that beautiful and holy and perfect and impossible standard yet now though God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty can we say that together not guilty guilty can we try it one more time not guilty 
He has done this through Jesus Christ who has freed us by taking away our sins for God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood by sacrificing his life for us. What a good father, amen. Who oh, I heard a thousand stories of what they think you like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased in that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's just who I am. It's who I am. It's who I. Do I? 
I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Heath got baptized yesterday. 32 degrees at Razorback Stadium. Baptized. <laughs> Those Converse All-Stars were cold yesterday, weren't they? <laughs> we had a good time. Hey, this weekend we've been celebrating some very special people. If you're one of our veterans, would you stand up? If you've served in our military, one of our veterans, would you stand up? Thank you. We gather here today to worship freely because of the freedom you've purchased for us, and we appreciate it. Hey, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians. This fall, we've been studying this New Testament book of the Bible, verse by verse. That's what we do at Fellowship Rogers. Take books of the Bible, study them verse by verse. In January, we're going to study the book of Esther. Then we're going to study the book of Daniel uh, starting next year. And, and where we find ourselves in this letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus is we're in the second half of the letter, which is jam-packed with practical instruction. In fact, last week we were challenged with this principle found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As followers of Jesus who are trying to live lives worthy, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, who are filled with the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we're called to practice mutual submission. It says, out of reverence for or respect for the Lord, submit to one another, yield to one another, honor one another, put the needs of others ahead of your own. You don't have to always have your own way. You don't always have to push your own agenda or opinion or preference. The Bible elevates submission to one another. As a Christ-honoring practice, the text calls for submitting to one another, to yielding to one another as a fruit of being filled by and led by the Holy Spirit. Now, last week, we saw that the Apostle Paul applies this principle to three primary relationships that were present in every first century home in the city of Ephesus. Uh, the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship, and the relationship between servants and masters. This call for submission note is not one-sided. It addresses both parties in the relationship under the banner of mutual submission. So here's what we're learning. And this two-part look at this text is that mutual submission brings harmony. It brings peace. You could say it brings health in our daily relationships. This is a fundamental principle in the kingdom of God. 
It's a currency that builds unity in the church. It helps us get along well with others, both inside and outside of the home. Our everyday relationships are healthier when we submit to one another, when we yield to one another. And last week, we looked at the concept of mutual submission in the context of marriage. Today, we're moving on into chapter six, our final chapter in Ephesians, and we'll address the second and third examples. Let's begin with parenting Look at Ephesians chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Children, obey your parents. Now, can I get an amen? I thought y'all might like this verse. It's awesome when the verse is about them. The second application of mutual submissions to be worked out in the home, in the relationship between the parent and child. And Paul calls for children to submit to parents. He says, for this is right. Meaning, this is the way it naturally should be. Children yielding to or submitting to or following the leadership of their parents. This is a universally accepted standard. This is an expectation in all countries and cultures and civilizations. You could even go as far as to say that this is natural law. And note the phrase, in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it's not saying that you don't have to obey your parents if you're not a Christian or if you have non-Christian parents. I think it's emphasizing that as a follower of Christ, especially as a follower of Christ, we should follow the leadership of our parents as we follow the leadership of the Lord. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul wrote, Children, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. So one application of living lives worthy of our calling or of walking in wisdom or of being filled with the Spirit, as Paul has been talking about in the second part of this letter, is to follow and submit to your parents. This is right. This is the natural way. And not only is it the natural order, but children obeying their parents is a part of the design of God. Verses two and three actually quote the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. This is the fifth commandment. You find the Ten Commandments in both Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter five. So think about it. Obeying your parents, honoring your father and mother is in God's top 10 list of priorities. Children submitted to and obeying their parents is a part of God's divine order. It's in the intended design of God for the home. God has given the authority and the leadership responsibility to parents. And as a parent, it is your job to shepherd and nurture and instruct and steward your offspring. This sounds like a no-brainer, but you can actually go wrong in a couple of ways. First is that you can neglect them. Abandoning your duty to, to guide them and direct them. You could fail to care for them or nurture them or protect them. Another way you could go wrong is simply to have a home where the children call the shots. Where the roles are flip-flopped. I've actually heard parents say to me out loud, I don't know why we're letting them do this. Or I don't know why we're letting them wear this. Or I don't know why we're letting them have this as if they have no 
authority or ability just to establish a rule or a boundary. So the divine order is for children to obey their parents. It's implied that parents would lead their children. Now, I would say that that honoring of your parents has no expiration date. It's in the Ten Commandments. That's what the Fifth Commandment states. We show them respect all the days of their lives. But obeying your parents will cease or fade in an appropriate manner as you enter into adulthood. What's the exact age that you're no longer required to obey your parents? Well, that's cultural. It varies, but it is expected that at some point, an adult man or woman is to live independently, to pay their own bills, to make their own decisions. And at that point, we shift from obeying our parents to honoring our parents. And Paul emphasized that blessings flow from obeying this commandment. He says this commandment comes with a promise. Honor your father and mother so that, you see the result there? It may go well with you and that you might enjoy long life on the earth. Obeying leads to a a better life and a longer life. Now, more than a specific promise, I think that this promise of long life and, and better life is a general assurance. It isn't saying that children will never face trials or that they'll never die young. But it is saying that for the most part, a child or adolescent who follows the wisdom offered from their godly parents will have less consequences and longer days, a better life, and a longer life. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think it would be a stretch to say that in our youth, we might have struggled with foolishness or impulse control or risk management and immaturity. I can remember one day standing at the top of a steep hill just outside of my house with a brand new skateboard. And at the bottom of the hill were railroad tracks. And I wish my mother would have come out and said, I wouldn't do that. Instead, she helped me bandage my knees, elbows, and forehead later. You see, a guiding hand of a wise parent is there to be the brakes. It's to help keep us going in the right direction and prevent us from making the big mistakes. So parents, lead your children. Children, obey your parents. Isn't this awesome? Except there's a problem. The children aren't actually in here today to hear this. Why is that? Have you ever wondered why fellowship has this model of family ministry where we have segregated instruction and worship on Sunday mornings? Let me offer some thoughts. First, when it comes to our children and students, our question is, how can we most effectively reach them? We want to minister to them in a powerful way. We want to be relevant to where they're at in life. We want to address their developmental needs and their emotional needs and their relational needs and their spiritual needs. We want our children's ministry and our student ministry to be impactful, to be life-changing, to be fun, to to be uh, attractive to them. So we have to ask the question, would age-appropriate ministry be better than having them sit in here with us? We had to ask the question, 
Do they need to be in here studying with us Ephesians chapter 3 on the Jew-Gentile reconciliation in the first century church at the city of Ephesus? Or do they need to be over there learning the basics of prayer, how to read their Bibles, and to sit with a mentor who's leading them in a small group experience? And that is what we've chosen. And we actually believe the best way to reach them is actually to reach you. Our purpose statement for family ministry says that the family ministry exists to help families what? Own the spiritual development of the next generation. You see, we're here to help you pass on the faith to your children. We actually believe that you're the evangelist of the home. You're the disciple maker in the home. We strongly believe in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It's talking about you and me. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Live this stuff out. Then, verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Our goal is to help you fall in love with Jesus so that you live it out in front of them in your home. And then as you live your daily life, as you sit at the dinner table and sit in the carpool line and sit at the soccer field and sit doing homework, we pass on the faith the commandments, the Jesus life to our children. We are here to encourage you and to equip you and to assist you. And what we do here on Sunday mornings is not the passing on the faith. That is just affirming what you're teaching them at home. We're trying to set you up for success and then affirm what you're getting done. And in the case of a parent failing to live up to this responsibility, we'll carry the ball. These are the primary reasons why we do what we do having the children there and us here. This isn't the only way to do it. It's maybe not the, the, the right way to do it, but it's the way we've done it over the past and we've had some good success. Now let me share some secondary reasons. We don't have them in here with us because we don't have room. We have hundreds of students and children here. In fact, the students are coming in at the 1030 service for a baptism and we told them don't sit down. We don't have enough chairs. For those of you who can do math, you can do the math. It doesn't work. And our content is not designed to meet their developmental and emotional and spiritual needs. It's often a little over their heads or irrelevant to their everyday lives. And then let's be honest. If your kids were in here with you, would you really be focused on listening and worshiping? Or would you be busy handing out mints? Shushing them, trying to keep them off the TikTok trying to survive without an outburst. See, we're trying to create an environment in here where you can find rest for your soul, where you can commune with God. Now, the children aren't in here to hear it, but Ephesians chapter six, verse one is strong. Children, obey your parents. But guess what? There's also an instruction for us as parents as well. Remember, this is mutual submission in Ephesians chapter five and six. So parents, what are you instructed to do? Well, it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
Now, the original word in the Greek for fathers is translated accurately here. It means fathers. But I think this verse can be applied to both parents. Both are to be obeyed. Both are to instruct and train. And both can exasperate their children. So the instructions, clear and simple. Fathers, mothers, do not embitter your children. Well, how can we exasperate our children? How can we frustrate or agitate the children under our care in the home? Well, how about practicing legalism? Offering truth without grace. Being uncompromising and rigid and unreasonable in our rules and expectations. Or how about authoritarianism? Answering every Objection with, because I, what? Said so. And we take away their ability to reason or to ask a a question or have an opinion at the very age when their, their brains are developing that ability to reason and ask questions and have an opinion. We need to be willing to explain the why behind what. Or how about practicing favoritism? Overindulging one child over another. Or how about practicing harshness or cruelty or humiliation or shame? You know, many angry young men and women have cultivated their hostility as children living in unhealthy relationship with their parents. They develop a father wound or mommy issues or daddy issues. The scripture says fathers do not exasperate or frustrate your children, but it offers an alternative. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Instead, encourage them. Train and instruct them. Offer clear instruction, consistent encouragement, and discipline. Loving discipline. Cast vision. Set boundaries and structure, and then help them along the way. And look at the the last three words In the verse, those last three words are important. It says, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This is not just a general training and instructing. It's a training and instructing in righteousness. It has an aim of godliness, of discipleship in the home. We're not attempting to merely raise good children or talented children, but to raise fully dedicated followers of Jesus So in light of us being in the practical section of Ephesians, in light of us talking about parents, I thought I might offer a few tips on raising godly uh, godly kids, and most of this comes out of my failures. Step one, aim at the right goal. We are tasked with raising children who follow Jesus, not ball players. And not dancers, and not academic all stars or beauty queens. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but just remember that's not the goal. The goal is not to be an all star or to win medals or rings or get scholarships, but our goal is to produce godly men and women who love the Lord and serve in their local church. Activities are merely a tool or a laboratory to develop character, 
They're not the end goal. While competence is good, who your kids are is more important than what they do. Let me restate that. Who your kids are is more important than what they do. Godliness is more valuable than giftedness. Character is more valuable than competence. Maturity is of greater value than medals or trophies or awards. We need to spend time and energy and emotion on developing character and not just helping our kids be good at their activities. And we need to be very careful that we don't let our kids' activities become family idols. How much time do we spend on our kids' activities and on scholarship applications and taking them to ball practice and their speed trainers and and all of those things in comparison to discipling them to follow Jesus? What if you raised a D1 athlete or a valedictorian or a class president, but they lacked character or spiritual depth or love for others? What if they grew to be a CEO or held a graduate degree but weren't able to be in a healthy relationship with their spouse or to be a healthy parent or they left the faith? Aim at the right goal. Also, understand your stage of parenting or your phase of parenting. One of my mentors, Dr. Steve Graves, uh, sat down with me for coffee one day at a frustrating point in my parenting journey. And he said, hey, let me remind you, there are four stages of parenting. And he said, you have to act appropriately in each stage with each child. The first stage is easy, command. This is where you tell them everything to do. What to eat, when to sleep, what to wear, do your homework, brush your teeth. This lasts from birth until late elementary or even middle school. Then you move into coaching. This is when you don't just tell them what to do. You help them take ownership of their responsibilities. You ask more questions than you give commands. Do you have homework? When did you plan to do that? Why do you think brushing teeth is important? When do you plan to fill out that scholarship application? This lasts into high school and for some, even into early years of college or career. Then you move into consulting. As they enter a young adulthood, you become a consultant. You may have all the answers, but you wait for them to ask you the questions. Should I buy a house? Not now. How would I know if I'm supposed to marry this person? How much money should I put in my 401k? What is a deductible? Those are the questions I'm getting now. Then you move into cheerleading. That's when you just celebrate the goodness of God in their life and tell them they're doing great. Here's the problem. The problem comes when you fail to progress into the right stage, even though your child has. It would be very inappropriate for a parent of a high school student to still be in the command phase. You shouldn't be laying out your high school student's clothes. You shouldn't be laying out your high school student's clothes. You want me to keep going? You shouldn't be getting your high school out of bed. Your high school students should be able to get their own self up. And it would be very inappropriate to be coaching A 40-year-old. I've actually been called by a mom of a 40-year-old who wanted me to intervene in their marriage. You've got to progress in parenting as your children progress in age. One last tip. Balance, truth, and grace. Parents, your kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. Giving your students or your children the right amounts of acceptance 
and affection and appreciation and availability builds the foundation of trust for receiving and following the boundaries and the guidelines of your home. We've got to balance grace and truth. That old adage, rules without relationship leads to what? Rebellion. Keep their hearts while still establishing wise boundaries and expectations in the home. Children, obey your parents. Parents, raise your children in the instruction and training of the Lord. Now, we still have one relationship to cover in this section. We've looked at marriage. We've looked at parents. But now we move on to slaves and masters. Under the banner of mutual submission, we now move into chapter 6, verse 5. Read along with me. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now these words are written to a first century Ephesus context. Ephesus was a part of the Roman Empire. And slaves and bond servants made up a large part of the Roman culture. It's estimated that there were over 60 million slaves or bond servants in the first century Roman population. So that would mean that up to a third of the population of the city of Ephesus would be classified as bond servants or slaves. Now, being a slave in the first century Roman culture was not a result of your skin color or your nationality. Slaves constituted much of the workforce. Not only did that include domestic servants and manual laborers, but also educated people as well, teachers and doctors and administrators. Slaves could be inherited, purchased, acquired in the settlement of a debt. Prisoners of war often became slaves. Some sold themselves into slavery to find a better life or even to gain Roman citizenship. Others were born into it. Slaves under Roman law could become educated and trained and could generally count on being set free by age 30. Now, when it comes to the New Testament concept of slavery, as we read these verses, we must not jump to two extremes. Extreme one, we cannot equate the slavery of the first century Roman context to the atrocities that were committed in our American historical context. And at the same time, we can't write it off as this benign employer-employee relationship as some Bible commentators do. These were slaves and masters. Contractual ownership was involved. And there were certainly offenses committed that violated or marred human dignity. And while there were exploitations of human rights and abuses, Roman slavery in the first century was a far more humane and civilized affair than the American African slavery practiced in our country much later. In fact, some Bible commentators stated that the institution of slavery in the Roman Empire was not even considered evil by the slaves or their masters. Just a necessary, common, economic institution. Now, there's been much debate about the Bible's treatment of slavery. And while the Bible doesn't advocate for slavery by any means. It also doesn't outright condemn it. And that bothers many of us. Doesn't that bother you? This can be disturbing in our modern context. The way Paul treats it is it was a common reality. And so he instructed slaves and masters on 
how to relate to one another in the context of the church. So in the Ephesian church, when they received this letters, there would have been slaves and there would have been masters and there would have been freedmen present in the service. And Paul addressed both slave and masters and having obligations to one another under the authority of Christ, practicing the concept of mutual submission. In fact, Paul wrote to the slaves and addressed them as members of the Ephesians church. This was counterculture thinking. Paul was breaking down barriers here. In writing to them, he substantiated the dignity and place in society of these servants. You know, it's interesting in Paul's writings. He addresses slaves as being free in Christ, and he addresses the free person as being a slave of Christ. And he addresses both as being brothers in Christ who function in different roles. So how do we apply this? Because we don't live in the first century, and we're not in the church at Ephesus. I think for our application, we can apply these principles or parallel these instructions to our work life our relationship to our employer or to our employees. But we need not ignore what really happened in the first century to do so. So how are slaves to obey their earthly masters? Well, first note that in each of these four verses, it contains the word Christ or Lord. Paul was emphasizing in order for us to fulfill our role in the workplace, We need to remember that this is a way to honor the Lord. Our theology of work teaches us that work is not a result of the curse as much as it's a part of the creator's design. There was work in Genesis chapter 2 before the fall of man. Many theologians believe that there'll be work in heaven. When we work, when we create, when we cultivate, when we manage, when we produce, we are reflecting the image of God In our lives, we're fleshing out his work rest rhythm. Theologian A.W. Tozer said this about work, that it's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It's why he does it. The motive is everything. So how do we relate to those who lead us? Well, look at the text. It says in verse five, obey your leader with respect. As you follow your leader, honor them. Esteem the role over you. Show deference to the one you serve. Respect the lanes and the order. And if your master, if your manager, if your supervisor is a Christian brother or sister, don't ask for preferential treatment or take advantage of them. Instead, work or serve with sincerity of heart. Work earnestly and with excellence and focused and honesty and not be double-minded. And be consistent. Work just as hard when you are not being watched or measured. Offer wholehearted service to your employer, not to please them, not to please men, but to please who? God. Slaves, work for your masters. Employees, work for your employers as if you were working for who? The Lord. And masters, you're called to a godly standard in your role as well. Employers, supervisors, team leaders, you're called to. It says, treat your slaves or your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. If you're a supervisor, if you're a team leader, if you're an employer, you're to view your role in the same way that the servants are or the employees are to live out your role for the glory of God. Serve just as though you were serving the Lord. Treat your employees fairly and justly 
and with dignity and respect and do not take advantage of them. After all, you and your employee have the same master and he loves you both equally and he doesn't play favorites. To summarize this section, we fulfill our roles in the workplace to bring honor and glory to God. Everybody take a deep breath. So we're closing out this intense section of how to live lives in the home and the workplace, which is really closing out the practical section of Ephesians. Next week, we'll get on to the armor of God and spiritual warfare. So let's close with this. I want you to look at where we've been in chapter four through the first half of chapter six. Live lives worthy. Put off the old self. Put on the new. Walk in light and love and wisdom. Be filled with the Spirit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How's the Lord been speaking to you in this section? If you were to look up there and pull off one of these points where the Lord's grabbed your heart and said, hey, I want you to grow up in your faith in this area, which one would it be? And let's be faithful to hear his voice and follow through. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord Jesus, this is your word. And we ask that you would bear fruit in our lives as we've learned it. Lord, I pray that the last four or five weeks of practical wisdom would not fall to the ground empty, but accomplish what you will for it in our lives. And Lord, we want to be faithful to you because you've been faithful to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, fellowship, thanks for being with us today. If you need prayer, our prayer room is open. The Campbells are there. They'd love to pray with you today. Don't forget, Legacy, you're meeting right now. And if you'd like to come to our marriage enrichment night, be here at 4.30 today. Y'all have a good week.